Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I am delighted to have Renier Lemons here. And Renier has had a very successful and varied career. He describes it in three parts. The first part was his formative years uh, as a consultant in Arthur D. Little, doing his MBA in McKinsey as well, learning a lot from a whole variety of different organisations. Second stage was in senior management roles in financial services, in great firms like Barclays, in PayPal, and in GE. And finally, the plural phase of his life that he's in right now um, is he's on fintech boards, he's often the chairman uh, or an advisor, and things like banks and as a professor in financial services. So a fascinating guy who I've really enjoyed uh, conversing with, and I just want to share some of those experiences. So Renia, welcome. Good to have you on board. Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, it's, it's amazing to be invited on a series for inspiring leadership that in and of itself is great. Thank you. Not a, a real pleasure. And while we're talking about inspiring leaders, uh, who's inspired you? you? You mentioned one who's non-business and then some of the, the business owners. Yeah, on the non-business side, uh, a hero of mine is a physicist called Richard Feynman. He's long passed away. He uh, invented something called quantum electrodynamics, won the Nobel Prize, but what inspired me in him is that the most complex concepts he could bring uh, across in a very simple way with a lot of humor uh, into it as well. And then he, uh, outside his own zone, when he got onto the Space Shuttle Disaster Investigation Committee, he was the one who through first principles problem solving and a certain curious tenacity uh, help the committee arrive at the conclusion about that seal, etc., that went wrong. So yeah. his curiosity and his way of communicating has really inspired me and said it's a bar that I can only uh, dream about. Yeah. And then in business? Uh, in business, really, uh, I've had uh, a lot of inspiring people that I had the privilege of working with in my consulting career. Uh, people, I give one example, Ashok Alexander, uh, who later on went on to manage the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in India and from a senior partner at McKinsey became occupied with the plight of prostitutes and sex workers in, in India and had a huge personal impact there. And what inspired me and him was uh, he didn't just talk about values, he lived the values of the firm. He was a true friend, a true mentor, also a very smart guy, but someone who took a personal interest in me and really helped me develop and pointed out a lot of my rough edges in that stage of my career and helped them file, uh, file them down. Great. And then on to the, the teams. You've worked with a lot of fascinating teams. Which team would you pick out as an example of really inspiring teamwork? And, uh, and what were the qualities uh, that you admired there? I think uh, the, the, the team that most inspired me was the team that I was part of at PayPal Europe. Uh, we were in different countries, about seven, eight of us. And what made it inspiring that uh, with, in a very informal and fun-loving atmosphere, 
we dealt with some very ambitious business problems, a lot of mutual honesty, intellectual honesty and, and rigor, and, and driving initiatives into the organization with a real sense of camaraderie. And, and part of what we did was say a little bit, look, we are in Europe, we're different from you know, the big brother in the US and here's how we go about things. But that created a camaraderie that uh, I really cherished in that team. Yeah, and if there was one quality more than anything that makes a team toxic, because you've probably been in toxic teams or you've been a chair trying to organize a rather dysfunctional team, if there's one thing that makes a team toxic that you have to root out, what, what would that be in your experience? In my experience, it's, it's excessive politics. And, and what are politics? It means that I say something else about Jonathan when he's in the room than when he's not in the room. Yeah. And we all do that. We're all human. We do that to a certain extent. But when that starts taking a life of its own and begins dominating the culture, the team culture becomes toxic very quickly. Yeah, thank you. And then um, all the inspiring leaders that I've ever worked with, the men and women, they're all good enough to admit that they make mistakes, quite a lot of mistakes. And those that think they don't, that they're not inspiring. They're just deluded. So if you think of a story of when you got something badly wrong, um, through arrogance or, or just not reading it. What was the story that, that you got wrong and, and what have you learned from that that's made you a better leader since, Renia? So I was with, with another great friend of mine, Kito de Boer at McKinsey, doing an engagement for a client in, in India. And Kito was a senior partner and I wasn't a partner yet. And I, I thought I knew it all. I thought that the uh, his... His thinking about the engagement was not in line with values. It was all too commercial, and I've made a big rah-rah about it. And in retrospect, I'm so embarrassed of my behavior there. Such arrogance and presumption that I knew it all. And while that certainly didn't change me overnight, I'd like to think that that slowly, slowly began to inculcate a sense of humility and a preparedness to listen uh, to others, which frankly, I was so busy proving myself uh, that I didn't listen to anyone. I'm still proving myself, I think, at the, at the age of 55, but at least I'm listening to people today. Yeah. And let's stay with this one, because it is such an interesting one, uh, before we go into your final top tip, that uh, you and I were talking about the fact that in many of the organizations we're in, whether it be some of the great firms you've worked for or uh, premier consulting firms like McKinsey and others, or even some of the generals and the leaders I were with, I, I've been with, that 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 we're often over-anxious, over-achievers, and I, I confess I, I'm one as well. What, what do you think is the problem when, when people are over-anxious, over-achievers? What's your experience? Well, from personal experience, and uh, you know, it, it takes one to know one, and I'm definitely an, uh, an insecure, over-anxious, over-achiever, is that no matter what you do, it's never good enough. Uh, you don't smell the roses, you're always worried about the next thing, always comparing to someone else who's done this thing even better or even faster or in a more beautiful way. And it creates a permanent sense of unrest and discontent with self and often with others. So yeah. it's a, uh, on one hand, it's a lifelong <laughs> condition. And one, uh, once you recognize it, it becomes easier to manage, but perhaps it never quite leaves you. Yeah, no, very insightful. And, and we were saying that the opposite is the uh, sort of the under-anxious, underachiever, the sort of one who's just happy to puddle along. And they probably have a maybe an easier life. They don't get to the top of organizations. But I've, I've, uh, I've found that unless people have a sort of come to Jesus moment or a, 
uh, Damascene experience where they go, hey, I'm just going to chill a bit now and just be really interested in people, then they, they're always going to be chasing the, uh, the unachievable. Uh, and mm. finally, finally, top tip. If you were to give a top tip, practical thing to people to be a more inspiring themselves, that the people who are listening to, to this uh, podcast and to this video, what would, what would you give as your top tip to be a better inspiring leader? Share about yourself. Uh, in a in a in a in an appropriately frank way, mm-hmm. uh, talk about one's own trials and tribulations in life creates a common humanity that, uh, in the right setting, uh, creates a stronger bond between people that need to work together. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, Rene, thank you. It's been great having you on the series, and uh, we'll have a further inspiring leadership extra session. But just for for this bit that we can. Uh, share with people. I really appreciate you bringing your wisdom and experience and keep advising and uh, enjoy your plural career. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra. Uh, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and I'm with Renia Lemons. And we're just talking about Renia's life experiences, really. So just take us back to where you grew up. Was it, um, was it Holland you were born? Holland, yeah, in a small village in Holland. Uh, that's probably not a defining factor. More defining for me was my father was one of 13. Came from a, from a very big Catholic family. My mother was single child, is single child. She's still with us. And uh, my father in particular was very keen that his two sons would uh, get education opportunities that he didn't get. So... I'm part of a big family. Uh, I uh, am one of the few who had the chance to go to university. That meant that I didn't have anyone to to ask about, you know, what's that like? What do you do? I ended up studying computer science simply because it seemed like a good thing to do in those days. It was incredibly boring and I'd never do it again. <laughs> but that's what, that's what happened. Uh, so I pretty much went into that without, without guidance and figuring out my my own way and uh, in this example making a choice that in retrospect wasn't the best choice that i could have made i guess yeah and in those early years um were your mother and father inspirational role models to you and if so what qualities did they have or if it wasn't them was it a teacher who who really academically uh, i didn't do very well academically in fact uh, when i was 13 or 14 my father was called into school and they wanted to send me to vocational training because uh, I was a, a disaster in, in school. And then my father made a plea with uh, a teacher who became a real inspiring teacher to me to give me a chance to prove myself until Christmas. And I still don't know quite what happened, but somehow I saw the light and it all went well from, from there on. But uh, that was one of those moments where my father was there at the right time and that really inspired me. And the other thing that I always saw in him was this desire to improve himself, to work hard. To He was frankly a much harder worker than, than I ever was. Uh, he graduated finally at the age of 50 with his own master's degree. So uh, lifelong learning was very much his mantra. And uh, that certainly was an inspiration for me. That's great. And what was father doing in those early years? What was, what was his job? Because uh, then he was in uh, human resources. So okay. he, uh, he spent his whole uh, career in, not his whole career, he started out selling carpets in a department store. And then he retired being responsible for human resources and IT in a group of hospitals in, in Holland. And 
yeah, he, he was always studying and improving himself in the years that we were growing up. Yeah, well, that's, that's really inspirational that he, he's such a lifelong learner. And, mm. and also the other inspiring leaders that I've learned so much from have had good times and, and, and they've had some really dark times. Um, and, and those have shaped them. Before we talk about the good times, which uh, story or which experience would you talk about as some of the darkest time of your life? And how did you get out of it? And what did you learn from such a difficult experience? What was your story you'd share? Yeah, I mean, really, I guess the darkest time in, in my life would be the period around my divorce and my first marriage and the pain that that caused uh, on all of us, my ex-wife, our three children and, and myself. And uh, that was a very difficult time. And it, it took me some time to heal from that. And I'm still wondering at times when I'm fully healed from it, especially when I see the hurt that it caused the children, because I don't think there's painless divorces when it comes to, to children. No. So yeah, it's, it's part of the, uh, the growing up. Eh? You fall and then you get up and you move on uh, in life. And uh, in, in two months, almost two months to the day, I hope to celebrate the one year anniversary of my second marriage. So uh, we, we, we moved on, but uh, it was a dark time at the time. Yeah, and just staying with it, um, you know, myself with, with my own first marriage, which um, was uh, unfortunately came to a close after 23 years. And that was very, very difficult. That's some eight years ago now. And I've remarried, been married for five years and, and in a very good place now. But uh, I found it very useful having CBT based uh, psychotherapy. I found a, a really good psychotherapist who I'm seeing at the moment, actually. And it's good to deal with the trauma of what's gone on before and your part in it and how it was influencing you. So I don't know whether you've ever had any psychotherapy, but I would recommend it if you haven't, have you? No, I, I, I have to, and uh, I would echo that. It, uh, if, if one engages in it with the right mindset, you need to be lucky with the therapist as well. Frankly. Yeah, yeah. You have to be, uh, uh, yeah, you need to be careful in, in, in who to work with, that's the right fit, but then it, it can be helpful to try yeah. and work through the yeah. difficult situation. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to share. Um, and then the brighter times, the, the sunlit uplands. Uh, I say that as I look out at the window here and we've got lovely sunshine, which is, which is great. Um, what would you talk about some of the, the highlights in your life uh, and as a leader and some of the great places that you've worked and, and, and the, the, the really good feel that it had that you pass on to others? This is what makes a good team or this is this is what makes a good leader someone who inspires you um what would what would you share well for me it's uh, bringing it back to the to the professional setting the, the best times i've had when there was a trust-based relationship either between members of the team or between uh, my boss and and me uh, where it felt like uh, comrades in arms more than people working in a uh, in a company, and I always identify with what this, this slogan that I heard from from Army: that people go to war for the country, but they die for their comrades. And I think the same applies in a company. We we go to work for whatever it is, McKinsey or PayPal or GE or TransferGo or Divido. It doesn't matter. But in the end, you work with other people, and the effort that you put in has a lot to do with how much energy and how much of a bond you create uh, with each other. That's a really good 
point. I, I, I was told once by a, a CEO that, that actually none of us are in the business we think we're in. We're actually in the energy business that we've actually got to inspire, breathe in, inspiritus, breathe in energy and inspiration ourselves to then inspire others who then give discretionary life energy to their clients, their customers, and, and really make a difference in the world. So we've got to go there ourselves first, and, and then we inspire others who then in turn in, inspire and, and do deeds way beyond mm. that. And I'm, I'm thinking uh, particularly at the moment of uh, the unprecedented times we live in with the, the virus, the coronavirus going on, that I'm really proud of uh, my brother Graham and his daughter uh, Clarissa and his son uh, Angus, um, also got another son, uh, Henry, who's in the, the Royal Marine Commandos. But it's Angus, I think, at the moment I'm um, focused on, who he's an intensive care doctor with masks, full suits on for a couple of hours. You're sweating profusely, saving lives of people. And some will die in these uh, overloaded intensive care units. And I, I think that's where literally you might die for your comrades, that you're going in each day to do something and you could die too but you're saving lives. And I just want to really acknowledge those people who are doing that kind of work. Mm. But, but on to good times and good places. Uh, what else did you learn from inspiring leaders? What qualities stood out for you in the people that you remember and you, you, you said you had as mentors? Uh, frankness and clarity. Uh, I mean, uh, all these good mentors that I talk about, uh, they've all had tough conversations with me. Yeah, uh, these were these were not the folks who were just giving a pat on the back and say, "Oh, you're great. See you tomorrow." Yeah. These are also the folks who took time to sit down and say, "Well, this is what's not so great, and this is why it's not great. And now, what are you going to do about it?" And I am someone who occasionally needed to be hit with a with a brick between the eyes. <laughs> I mean, uh, subtlety was not my forte in those days. So. I'm really grateful that uh, I did have bosses uh, and sometimes subordinates. As I matured, in fact, uh, I also became much more comfortable inviting upward feedback without feeling immediately threatened uh, by it. Uh, people gave me very good pointers because I am someone who at times is just blind to, to himself. Yeah, I didn't really uh, thought that I was coming across in a certain way, and then it turns out that I wasn't coming across that way at all. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. And um, you know, the, the computer science background, financial services. Uh, when I've done coaching in those organisations, I've been in a lot of them, and technology organisations. There's some super bright individuals, um, and that the emotional and social intelligence is like a, learning another language. It's just they haven't needed it in those early days. And particularly, you remember McKinsey, you begin as an analyst working up, but then you have to be a strategist and influence and persuade CEOs and boards. And if you carried on the way you were doing before, you'd never make that step. And that's why some go out after having done their first three or four years, um, but others stay on up as, as partners and things like that. Um, what, what's been your experience of um, developing your own emotional and social uh, intelligence so you are more self-aware and you can manage your own emotions and in turn you can read other people manage not control but manage their emotions we talked about control you and I before and then you can read the environment what's going on and what's happening around the firm and in the sector and in different countries so what's been your experience of how you've learned that sort of 
that language. Very, very, very slowly. <laughs> in my case, yeah, this is not a natural talent of mine. I'd say this is not some. You know, some people have this natural ability to read rooms, to read people. For me, it's hard work. I often misread. Uh, so while I made a tremendous progress by being focused on it, expectations have also gone up because the expectation of me as a 55-year-old chairman are different from the expectation uh, of me as a 23-year-old uh, analyst or uh, associate. So uh, for me, this is really a lifelong uh, path of, of learning. And every time I think that I sort of more or less got it, I get some wake-up call that, well, not quite. There's still more to be done. And that's both in a professional life and in a personal life. I mean, yeah. my toughest coach is the one that I'm married to. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> always, always the way. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And, and what are you finding just on the personal side? Um, so, for example, my wife and I in these tough times, we begin in the morning with a run together and we chat when we're on the run. Uh, not very, it doesn't have to be a very far, far one, but it's we, well, we're able to get out until we get locked down in our homes. Um, we find that good way to start the day. And then we end uh, with a seven o'clock sunset walk where we just go for a walk and we just chat as we walk around the fields and things like that, watching the sun go down. It's, it's very special and we get more engaged that way. When we didn't do that, we, we missed each other. What, what, what do you find you do that works well with understanding yourself and getting, getting the coaching you get from your, your new wife? Well, the good news is that with Jasmine, uh, I don't need to look for it. It comes by itself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, look, we do other things to connect. Like uh, yesterday, we finished recording our another song. We, we uh, One of my hobbies is making music, and okay. she's a very good singer. So we, we sang together, and I do the background vocals. And these are other ways of bonding. And, then we had a little coaching session thereafter. I'll show you the details out. But yeah, so yeah, it's it's full days these days of uh, lockdown. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, people people can be miserable about it, or they can make something of it and see it as an opportunity. And I think somebody said that in Chinese there are two symbols for crisis: one is danger, and the other one is opportunity. And mm. I think we must we must look for the opportunity as well as be aware of the danger. Okay, just to round it off, what would what would be your final top tip um, to other people out there about being a more inspiring leader? Something you found has practically worked for you and for others you've had in teams of yours that you'd encourage people to work on. What would be, Renier, what would be your final top tip? Uh, uh, have the conversations that you don't feel like having. Uh, have the conversations. Have the conversations that you don't feel like having. Either uh, giving tough feedback to someone else or soliciting tough feedback from someone. Yeah. They... Uh, those conversations uh, create much more of a bond between people than the fair weather kind of conversation. Yeah, that's so. Uh, and uh, I've never been, it's always difficult. No one likes having those conversations, but as we practice them, we become more at ease with them. And uh, I'm now at a stage where I, I don't evade them in a professional setting. Uh, yeah. And it never disappoints. Uh, no matter how tough the message, it always leaves people feeling better than avoiding the subject. Yeah, no, very wise. Great tip. Renia, thank you very much for sharing uh, your wisdom experience on this podcast. It's great having you on board and I wish you every success. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? 
If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.